Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. obviously continue our study of First Peter this morning. Um, I do have something to say, though, this morning as we start off. Um, last week, I, I made a confession about how my driving changes when I get near the church. I followed Ross home last night. That was me behind you, and he was making some moves to try to lose me. Ross is just as bad as I am. I just want to say that out in public, but you didn't lose me, did you? You tried to make a move that I, we, we should discuss later. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, that was probably a private conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we didn't break any laws, though, so I think we're good. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, this morning, uh, I'm super excited about this morning and how the, the passage that we're going to kind of get into um, has a whole lot to do with with what God calls us to do. And um, I chose that video because I think that video really lays the biblical theme that, that God has, has, has revealed for us of, of this idea of how really our lives, once we become Christ followers, our lives are lived as exiles, but not exiles who are called to conquer the world around us, and we're also not called as exiles to escape the world around us. We are called to influence the world around us by a way that Jesus models for us. And, and so the, the reality is that, that I think so, like, like so many of us, I like to be where I fit, where I belong, where things are kind of harmonious. But, but the reality is that, that one of the things that we have to recognize as Jesus followers is that we really don't belong here. But just because we don't belong here, we don't give in to the temptation of not having an impact and saying, well, then I don't belong here, so I'm not gonna really invest or, or, or have an impact or, or help things become different or better. The, the reality is that we won't um, find that real true belonging until either until we're called home to stand before Jesus or before Jesus comes back and makes all things right. And, and so we've got to figure out how to live this life in a way that actually draws people to Jesus, that we are not the hurdles between people around us and Jesus. Because, because the reality is not everyone will come to Jesus because there's people who will reject Jesus their whole life. They will never, ever come to a point where they choose to surrender themselves to Jesus. But that's between them and Jesus. And what, what I think our greatest challenge is as Jesus followers is that you and I are not the hurdle that keeps them from Jesus. 
that our behavior, our language, our, our attitude doesn't actually cause people to, to veer away from Jesus because they see something legitimately dismissive about us. And what, what I mean by legitimately dismissive, I mean that they can look at my life and say, well, he's doing these things that are obviously wrong. Or he's speaking this way to people. He says that he's supposed to love. I'm not sure Jesus is for me. And there's a legitimate dismissiveness that they have because of what they've seen in me, how they've seen me living, how they've seen me talking. And so that's what really Jesus is calling us to try to do our best in surrendering more and more to Jesus, living a life of humility, walking with Jesus. And, and, and so if you have your Bibles, we're going to start out and there's kind of an umbrella, a couple verses for an umbrella for what we're going to talk about today and look at this idea of, of what we're called to do. So, so 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want to start in verses 11 and 12. And I want to read those verses here as we, as we begin this morning. Um, I, I love how, in fact, it was referenced in the video that we just had. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Peter says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, a couple things about these verses here. We've got to remember the setting that Peter is writing to. The people who he's writing to and trying to help move forward are, are people who are primarily Gentiles who have grown up in these different cities, Galatia, uh, Sardonia, these different cultures, and, and they are, many of them are Roman citizens. They're living in the Roman Empire. They are not, there's a handful of Jews that Peter's writing to, but, but First Peter is primarily, it's targeted as, as primarily Gentiles who have chosen to follow Jesus. And so these are people who are nationally uh, connected to Rome. Just like those of us born or who have become citizens of, of the United States are nationally Americans. We have that in common. That's a very similar similarity that we have with the audience of 1 Peter. Secondly, Rome was not exactly a nation that was pursuing Jesus or God's values or character. In fact, Rome, as, as you study the culture of Rome, there are, I mean, it, 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 it almost causes other, other nations' paganism to pale in comparison. Rome was not a place where, where good was good and evil was evil. There was all kinds of, of blurring lines and such. And so, so they lived in this culture. And so Peter is writing to a people who are nationally Romans, but they become Jesus followers. And they live in a, in a world where the empire is not exactly doing anything that would be righteous or good or God-pleasing. Now, verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Here, he's, again, he's, he's talking to some people who are Gentiles, but he's using Gentiles in this biblical fashion of talking about those who are apart from God. And so he's not talking about Gentiles who have become Christians. He's talking about those who have not surrendered their lives to Christ. And so here's what he says. He says, I, I want you, as he says, sojourners, which is the same word that, that is used in the Old Testament, 
of Abraham when he was moving through the land when, when he was wanting to bury his wife, Sarah. So he says to those people, he says, I'm just a, I'm, I'm a traveler, I'm a sojourner. This isn't my home, but he says, I, I would like to purchase land here for a time. And he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And, and then he says in verse 12, he says, make sure the way you act, your conduct, what you say and what you do, make sure that it is honorable so that when those who are around you speak evil against you, it's not legitimate. They have no legitimate claim. They have to make things up. They have to twist things so that they actually might see your good deeds the way you act and behave, and they might glorify God because they have no other way of interpreting it. That's the umbrella that he says. That's the, that's the big principle that we as Jesus followers are called to pursue in the land of our exile. And, and, and so it's, it's so interesting because our mission as exiles here are to be imagers of another place, of, uh, uh, really of, of Jesus Christ. And so we're called not to give in to the way, the, the, the way that the world does things, the flesh, and that there is a daily battle that you and I will face to, to give in to those, those, those things and give in to those pursuits. See, the number one priority of every Jesus follower is to image Jesus, model, reflect, act in accordance with him. But we were reborn in order that we might live like Jesus, doing good deeds, directing others toward God. And it's this idea of loyalty and subversion. Loyalty, honoring, so that you cannot be accurately accused of wrong. That's what the loyalty is, that you cannot be accurately accused of being rebellious or doing wrong, but subversion, living in a Christ-like manner, recognizing God as sovereign, as, as sovereign and king, and Jesus Christ as king. And so there are lines that we will have to draw at different points in time. That when whatever area that we're living in actually calls us to go against the character and the law of God, then we, in a humble manner, in a confident manner, we stand against that. And, and, and you look, again, you look at the, the examples in the Old Testament with Daniel and the three Hebrews. You look at the example of Jesus Christ and the apostles in the New Testament. They humbly stood against the things that were contrary to what God, God valued and they gave their lives for it. And, and, and so that's really what he's going. Now, understanding who we are, that the, this is who we are, now we move into what we're called to do. Uh, let's look at, look at chapter 2, starting in verse 13. There's three, there's three sections today that I want to walk through. And I'm not going to get into super detail about everything within each section because I want us to understand the principles of how we are called to, to interact with the culture around us as exiles. We're going to look at government, we're going to look at society, and we're going to look at family. That's what Peter brings up. These are the areas that he's calling them to behave differently. So this first section is, is, is what are we called to do as exiles in government? Starting in verse 13, Peter writes, be subject for the Lord's sake. Notice the focus at the very beginning. 
be subject for the Lord's sake. Who are we making choices for in the way we relate to government? We're making choices for the Lord's sake. We're thinking about God first and how we're representing him. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I love how Peter basically makes a to-do list <laughs> at the end of his, his section that he talks about the government. But, but here's, here's, here's the thing. Jesus has something to say to us about President Trump and about Governor Newsom. Now, I have a hard time seeing President Trump and Governor Newsom being in the same room and it not turning into some kind of violent battle. <laughs> that would be ugly. <laughs> but God has something to say about the spirit of, of anti-authoritarian anti -author, uh, rebellion prevalent in our society and within the church. Um, and, and here's the thing. If we start to think that this is a new concept, a new thing, this anti-authoritarian rebellion, if we start to say, oh yeah, this is this, all these people are doing this, understand that this has been real and practiced for decades and decades. It's interesting because uh, you, you run into people who have different um, persuasions and, and ideas of what government should be and who's going to actually govern the best. And you can have all kinds of discussions and arguments about that. And, and it's interesting because today you hear, I, I hear, if, if I listen, I hear a lot of um, pretty, pretty dishonorable comments about the president. And I, then I hear other people talking about how the people saying the dishonorable comments um, are super inappropriate in that inappropriate and, and such. And it's interesting because saying inappropriate things about the president isn't a new thing because if I go back a number of years to when President Clinton was president, I heard in the church people disrespecting President Clinton. Um, if you've ever said the word slick willy, that's not a term of endearment. That's actually a pretty solid insult to the leader of the United States at the time. So saying things about presidents isn't new and it comes from everyone, not just people who think this way or think this way, it's people who just think different than whoever's in charge. And, and so there is a definitive way God relates to government and what it means to be a God-centered Jesus follower in a pagan culture, Babylon. Because again, if we, if we can just adjust our perspective a little bit, we live in Babylon. And, and we've lived in Babylon since the inception of the United States. Now, the United States was founded on some Judeo-Christian moral ethics, but here's the thing. The United States was never founded on Jesus. And we have to recognize that. Because any nation not founded on Jesus is Babylon. 
And, and, and so, so we have to recognize it and understand that, that, that we are in Babylon. The Bible is not a how to take back the world book. It is all about how to live Jesus through me in the world to have the greatest impact for hope and salvation, repentance and regeneration. That's what the Bible is about. And so it's so, it's so, so, it's so interesting because what, what Peter says is, here's our perspective. Everything we do in reference to the government is for the Lord's sake. It's not allegiance to that human institution. I obey the government not because of the government. I obey the government because of Jesus. My allegiance and my loyalty is to Jesus, and Jesus calls me to live in a certain way. We are strangers, aliens, exiles, who are also chosen, royal, holy, and possessed by God. And so our call to submission before the government is actually the way we recognize God's sovereignty. When I submit to the government, I am actually, because I am, I am, I am actually focused on Jesus, I am recognizing God's sovereignty in the midst of a crummy world, in the midst of, of maybe even a government that goes completely against God's values. See, our humility towards the government reflects our obedience to God. Now again, as we look at the biblical examples, if you go back to the Old Testament in Daniel when the, the emperor says, worship this false god, what did Daniel, what did the Hebrews do? They said, we won't. They did it publicly, they did it confidently, and they did it humbly. And there were consequences for that. And, and, and so, so we need to recognize that so often our humility toward the government reflects our obedience to God. The government's role, as, as Peter talks about in this passage, is to punish evil and praise the good. And here's the problem with that. Governments don't often succeed there. <laughs> that is their one job. That is their one job, part A and B. Punish evil and celebrate the good. And I don't know any governments that have been around for much time that actually have nailed that. They focus on everything but that, it seems like. And it seems like if they're not doing their job, we should be able to discount them, ignore them, rebel against them. But here's the thing. Peter is writing to a people living under Roman rule, an immoral, brutal, and arrogant government. And he's telling them, submit to the government. See, in, in some ways, I feel like we, we, we want to say, well, I have an out because this is what's happening in our country, or this is what our government is doing. They're, they're no worse than Rome. And Peter's writing to people in Rome saying, hey, this is how you are called to act by God. And so don't give the nation you are in a reason to dismiss you and label you rightly as a person who doesn't have integrity or doesn't have character. Here's the reality. Uh, in, in, again, in verse 16, I love what, what Peter says. He says, live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And, and so right there, basically what he's saying, he's reminding us and saying, we belong to God, not the U.S. government. We submit in freedom for the sake of Jesus. We are free and we submit for the sake of Jesus. Martin Luther said, he said, a Christian is, perfectly, is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none, 
a Christian is also a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. He, he kind of talks about that tension that as Christians, as those who follow Jesus and have been freed, we are free from our slavery to sin and our slavery to others. But on the other side, we are also called into being the greatest servants of all. And, and so it's this, this, this tension that we live with. We were freed by God to serve in the land of our exile. We're freed by God not to conquer the land of our exile. We're freed by God not to escape the land of our exile, but we're called by God to, to serve the land of our exile. And, and, and here's our behavior, verse 17. Like I said, he, he basically gives a list. It's about as basic as, as list you can make. Verse 17, honor everyone, period. Love the brotherhood, period. Fear God, period. Honor the emperor, period. Here's, if, if you miss that, if that's confusing... Um, <laughs> here's what Peter's saying. To all, he, he, to all, everyone, God calls us to a, a level of basic respect and honor to every person you, you interact with. God calls you and I as Jesus followers to a basic respect and honor. To the gospel community, the brotherhood, we are called to love one another. That, that biblical, godly love, honest, patient, kind, that's what we're called to love one another with. That's what we do to the brotherhood. And then it says to God, it says fear God. In other words, reverence, obedience, and surrender. We don't fear the government. We don't give our reverence, obedience, and surrender to the government. We give that to God. And God calls us then, it says, and to the government, to Caesar, to the emperor. It says honor and respect which is funny because that's what he started with. To everyone, he says, honor and respect, that basic honor and respect. But then he comes at the end of his list and reminds us, yes, that includes the government. <laughs> that includes the officials. And so he says, honor and respect all the way from President Trump to Governor Newsom. And frankly, wherever you are on the spectrum of politics and government, one of those two people you don't like. <laughs> and, and, and so it's very clear, it's so simple what, what, what God says and Peter conveys to us. This is how we're called to behave. This is how we're called to live. Why? Because you agree with them? No. Because you are reflecting a different way to live. It's what we talked about last week, an unusual building in the landscape a different construction, a living stones put together into a living being, a living building. We are a different building and we are assured of God's sovereignty and plan. And so it's for the sake of Jesus Christ that we live this way. So the next thing he goes into is verse 18 and he goes into how we behave as exiles in society. So verse 18, he says, servants... Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good but to, and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but, now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Here's the thing. Christianity following Jesus cannot be an attachment to our lives or can't be just kind of a boost that we put into our life. Following Jesus radically changes my lifestyle and my behavior. It is not an additive. It is not a, a side note. Following Jesus radically changes everything about us. So, so this section, he begins to talk about this idea of society. And, and one of the, the structures of society in Rome was, was a system where you had people who had all authority and people who had no authority. There really wasn't anything in between. There were masters and there were slaves. And, 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 and so to understand that, there was this reality that, that there was great opportunity for people to be taken advantage of and abused and hurt regularly with no, with, with no, no way of responding to that. It was the, the structure and the nature of their society. And there's two issues that come up in this because, because Peter goes pretty hard into this saying, if you suffer unjustly, you're being like Jesus. And we have a hard time with that, don't we? We have a hard time suffering unjustly when I do wrong and I suffer for it, I feel like I deserve it. But when I suffer, when I haven't done something wrong, I struggle with that. And, and here's the two issues that I think we, we struggle with. One is justifying my anger by the wrongs done to me. I justify my anger because of the wrongs that were done to me and I, I react to that. And I give myself lots of room to react like that. The other issue I think that we struggle with is, is our need to grow in God's grace. I think part of the reason that God allows us to suffer, suffer unjustly is to help us understand his grace and grow in it. To understand Jesus. To understand what, what it is to live in the same manner that Jesus did. You see, as Christian exiles... We are submissive with all respect to our masters. Now, in verse 18, when it says, be submissive to your masters, whether good or bad, it's not a biblical stamp of approval on slavery. This is looking at how society is structured. And so we all have masters. Our masters are our teachers. Our masters are bosses. Our masters are groups that we're in and the leaders of those groups. And it's just, it's just a different, that's how our society is set up. Our masters are sometimes law enforcement. Our masters are, are all different kinds of things. And, and so in society, we, we answer to different masters. And so what Peter is saying is that, that we are called to respect even if they are not good masters. I work for a boss who's a nightmare and he's terrible or she's, a, she's awful. So I, I, 
I, I, I say snide remarks, I'm passive aggressive, and I, and I do things that, that um, undermine him or her. That doesn't really work with what God calls you to do. Because that's someone you are called in society to respect and be submissive to with boundaries. In verse 19, he says, endure sorrow when you suffer unjustly. He says, okay, we're not even talking about when you deserve it because when you deserve discipline or suffering because of what you've done, that's your fault. (laughs) That's on you. You've brought that onto yourself. But he says, there's a category of suffering unjustly when you don't deserve it. And he says, you push through, you persevere, trusting in God's sovereignty. And he says, here's why. He says, he says, do good in verse 20 and 21, even if you suffer for it, because that's what Jesus did. Our number one calling in life is not to take back turf that has been lost. It's to look like Jesus. And what did Jesus look like when he walked this place? This is what he looked like. And then, and then in the last couple of verses in that, in, that pa- in that part of the passage, he says, do not return evil for evil. When you're berated or hated, don't pay back or threaten. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did and how Jesus calls us to follow in his steps. And so the thing is, is this hard? Absolutely. This is so hard. This really frustrates me. I am, I am a justice seeker, and I want things to be right. My, my, initial inter, my initial reaction when my kids don't obey me and something happens and they get hurt, there can be a severed finger. And I'm not giving emotional support until we establish that had you not done what I told you not to do, your finger would still be attached. So once you recognize you're wrong and I'm right, then we'll call 911. <laughs> That's how I feel. (laughs) That's not right, but that's how I feel. And so I get it. This is super hard. This is really, really hard to behave this way that God calls us to. So how do we move forward? Here's the thing. Oftentimes, you and I do good and it goes unnoticed. And, and, And there's hurt that occurs from not being noticed for good. This can come from parents. This can come from teachers, friends, children, employers, all over the place. Unnoticed good. And here's what we do when we face unnoticed. Just because our good is unnoticed doesn't mean we stop doing good. That's not an option biblically. So when we face unnoticed good, we remember and trust what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, verses 4, verse 6, and verse 18 all say the same thing. It talks about when you do good, that God sees it, and that's what matters. Every one of those verses says something like, your father who sees you in secret will reward you. When we face unnoticed good, don't give up, don't stop, because your father sees you, and he will reward you. He will respond to that. Not only do we sometimes face unnoticed good, but we face rejected good. It's when I do good, when you do good, and it gets rejected or called bad. 
How frustrating, that, that's even for me more frustrating than the unnoticed good. At least the unnoticed, no one's commenting on it. But when you do good and someone calls it wrong or attacks it or rejects it, that's even more frustrating. It's when our good is rejected or twisted or criticized or persecuted, usually by the world, but it also comes from other believers at times. How often have you acted like Jesus, but another believer has made comments about what you're doing? And, and so, so really, again, when we run into rejected good, we have to, again, trust God that, that he will act according to his promises for your good, and he will reward and avenge. Romans 12, 19, and 20 says that God is the one who takes care of that issue. When your good is rejected or attacked or persecuted, it says in Romans 12, it says that God is the one who will take charge of that. He is the ultimate avenger. <laughs> And he will take care of that because he's the one who responds, not us. And, and so, so, so we trust God that he will act in according to his promises. So now the last section is exiles and family. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braided of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be hidden, the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands and Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let me tell you something about family structure in the first century. The man of the house in the Roman culture in the first century, the husband, was the ultimate authority who was to be reflected in all of his beliefs and values by everyone who lived under his roof. So that meant, in Roman culture, that you have the man of the house, and you have his wife, you have servants, you have slaves, you have employees, you have all of those people. Everyone under his house were, were required to believe what he believed, to value what he valued. And if they diverged from that, he could do almost anything to correct their rebellious behavior. So, so it, was this, it was this context of he's got all the power, everyone else doesn't. And now within everyone else, there's probably different power struggles and structures within them, but if you did not reflect as a, as a wife, if you didn't reflect your husband's values and beliefs, he could correct your rebellious behavior. If you were a slave or a servant in the house and you did not reflect the beliefs, religious, everything else, as the master of the house, you would be disciplined and punished. The theme that's been developing for us as Jesus followers is that submission 
is a Christian virtue for all Jesus' followers to pursue in order to influence for Christ's kingdom as exiles. That's the key to our influence. And so he begins this part saying, wives, submit to your husbands. And he's talking about, in particular, in this per, these first five verses here, he's talking about an unbelieving husband. So, so let's say you get married, and, and see, here's where the struggle is. Because of the cultural setting and what was expected, if you were married and as a, as, a, as a wife, you became a Christian, you became a Jesus follower, you were rebelling if, if, if he was still a, a pagan follower of all of the gods in Rome, then you were actually changing your religious belief against his and you could be punished for that. If he wanted to, because he had all the authority and power and there would be no response from any, anything around and, and so, so this is the, this idea where, let's say you are, you are in this family context where you are pursuing Jesus, but there could be consequences for that. And, and, and so it says, one, this is, this is in reference to your own husband, not just other husband, other men who are married. It's not a gender divide here. It's relationally based. And, and look at what he says in verse five and six. He says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God adorn, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. In other words, what God is saying is in this, when you are in a position of powerlessness, you continue to trust God and you don't fear what's frightening because you know that God is bigger and greater than that which you fear. That God is seeing you. That God's eyes are on you. That God is paying attention. You see, what it says is that you are called to hope in God, not another person, not in your looks or attractiveness, but hope in God's provision and promises. Because of that hope, there is a fearless tenacity that you can confidently live by, which leads to a very unique kind of submission. This submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts, but will never follow him into sin, ever. That's the line. I will not behave sinfully and I won't follow you into sin. And a simple way to respond to that is I'm grieved by your decision or your behavior, but Christ is my king. And then do what's right. That's what Peter is saying to these wives who are stuck in a pagan marriage and stuck in the Roman culture. Now in verse seven, he switches it because he's talking about what to do when you have no power and you've got an unbelieving husband. He says, here's what you're supposed to do. You don't follow them. You don't, you don't participate in sin. So it's not saying you just sit. If, 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 he's, if he's attacking her, nowhere in Scripture does it say you just, you know, take the beating and be quiet. Absolutely not. Because that's sin. You don't follow or stand or sit for sin. You remove yourself. Now the hard thing 
in Roman culture is she couldn't remove herself. And so Peter's talking to a very, very difficult situation. But then in verse 7, he switches to the believing husband. He says, likewise, husbands, if you know Christ, if you're a Jesus follower, here's the calling to husbands. Here's what, shh. Um, here's what his calling is to husbands who follow Jesus. He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs of you, uh, with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Jesus or not, whether the, the Roman husband had Jesus or not, he still had all the authority and the, and the power and little accountability. And so what Peter says to the husbands who follow Jesus, you guys need to not act like your counterparts in culture. And so he says, how do you live? He says, with understanding and honor. He says, understand your wife. And here's how you understand your wife. You understand everything. And I know that the, the, the big thing within uh, men and women is that men will never understand women, women will never understand men because they are like foreign entities to each other. But here's what God calls us to do as husbands who follow Jesus. Understand her, understand her feelings, her hopes, her dreams, her fears, her calling, and honor those things. Honor all of those things. Honor her as an equal in Christ. Honor her as an equal co-heir in Christ. And so the ask here for Christian husbands in the first century in Rome was to say, change the structure of your entire household. Let her lead with you. And that was unbelievably countercultural in that moment. That was crazy. But he said, that's what you're called to do. Honor her as an equal in Christ, yet a distinct role in your relationship. Why? Because she is an heir with you in the grace of life. There is no, God sees no distinction as an heir. Here's the consequence as he throws in at the end. By the way, husbands who follow Jesus, if you don't live this way, you your intimacy with God will decrease. God will not listen to what you ask him for. It's almost like God draws a line and says, um, I understand that in your culture, you have all the power, but here's the thing. If you don't treat your spouses this way, then I'm not gonna listen to you when you call. That's fairly severe, <laughs> And, and so he says, he says, if you do this, he says, you, basically what he's saying is, you are no different than an unbeliever and I will treat you that way. Because God, does God listen to the prayers of those who are not surrendered to him? No. And so basically what, what Peter's saying here is that if you are a Jesus follower and you don't treat your wife in this manner as an equal co-heir with Christ, then I... I see you as an unbeliever. You don't even know me. That's what Peter's saying. He's characterizing you as someone who doesn't know Christ. So looking at these things, government, society, and family, now what? We, we talked about why before who. 
uh, why, why we go who before what. If you, are not, if you and I are not humbly surrendered to Jesus, recognizing that our position in this world is that of an exile, then we cannot do what he calls us to do. If we feel like we're owners of this culture, we're not going to be able to com- really do what he's called us to do. In order to walk a very fine line between loyalty and subversion, we need to be first totally surrendered to the Holy Spirit. So if you're not really surrendered to the Holy Spirit, if you see yourself as a conqueror or an escapist, then you've got to start there. You've got to change your perspective of what you are, who you are. Here's the challenge for this morning. We've talked about three areas, government, society, and family. Um, I I like going to Panera. Sherry and I go to Panera often for a a lunch date. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is the you pick two. You get to pick two things and that's what you get for lunch. We're gonna do, I want to challenge you with you pick three today, okay? This morning, as application, I want you to pick three. Um, what one thing are you going to change today in how you relate to, number one, the government, number two, the society, and number three, your family? Today, you're going to pick three. One thing for each of these categories, What is one thing that you're going to do different? I want you to write it down. I want you to go home today and during lunch or after lunch, I want you to write down, how am I going to relate differently based on what the Bible says? How am I going to relate differently to the government? How am I going to relate differently to society? How am I going to relate differently to my family? I don't know where you're going to go with that, but but let 1 Peter 2 and 3 guide you into your decisions of what you're going to pick to do differently. Maybe it's in how you talk about the government. Maybe it's how you treat people in society. Maybe it's how you treat your kids or your spouse. But I would challenge you to pick three. I want to invite the prayer team to come up right now, and I'm going to close this in prayer. Um, as they come forward, I want, to, I, want to, I want to ask you to do something for next week. You come next week, and you don't have to go out and buy this, but if you have binoculars at home, I'd like you to bring binoculars to church. If you forget, it's okay. If you don't have binoculars, don't go buy them. But if you have binoculars, I want to ask you to bring them next week because we're going to do a little participation. If that doesn't make you come back, I don't know what will. (laughs) Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we come before you this morning, and God, I thank you so much for your love And God, the way that you challenge us, Father, that we are not left ignorant in this world that we travel through. God, that we are called to have impact. And God, you are so specific on how you want us to engage our government, the society around us, and our family. And God, we need this so much today because of everything that we see going on and the different ways that our flesh wants to respond to it. So Father, I pray that you'd give us strength and courage and humility and boldness to Father, live loudly for you in a way that, re- re- that, that reflects you accurately. And Father, I pray that you would help us to pick three today, that we would pick three things that we would start doing today and it would be evident in our life to those around us. God, I thank you for your love and your work in our life and your faithfulness. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.